Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Tonight, it's a new episode of All Rise, the legal drama where one judge is shaking up the system. When I take the bench, I'm taking a vow to fight for justice. One case at a time. Your Honor, we're going to trial. Simone Misik is Judge Lola Carmichael. Up on that bench. Everything is different. A new episode of All Rise. Freedom is at stake. It's important. Followed by a new episode of Bull, tonight at 9, 8 central on CBS. For over a year, BuzzFeed News reporters Anthony Cormier and Jason Leopold had been reporting on President Trump and his campaign's ties to Russia, breaking major stories and trying to follow the money. We had both been fantasizing about this mother load. I just remember Anthony was like, oh my God, oh my God. They'd received thousands of secret government documents that revealed that banks all over the world had moved money for terrorists and criminals and drug dealers. And the U.S. government knows about it. We see actual human beings pulling the levers that allow this sort of criminal misconduct to go on. I'm Azine Gureshi. Join me for our new podcast, Suspicious Activity, Inside the FinCEN Files. We'll dive into the story these secret documents tell and take you behind the scenes with my colleagues at BuzzFeed News as they reported it. I've never seen anything like it in my life. Find it on Radio.com, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your shows. Fox Sports and Chicago Bulls TV play-by-play. By we're going to talk some NBA playoff action in 20 minutes with him. Josh, is there a more interesting player on the Panthers roster this year than Christian McCaffrey? Uh, Teddy. I, I'm Absolutely. sorry. It's, it's definitely Teddy. No, nah, God bless Teddy. But I mean, he's not better, but... I mean, we, we, we know McCaffrey is at this point, right? See, I, okay. How is that? I, I think we know that he is a great player, but I think he's a guy who's been used in a way that there's more to Christian McCaffrey than what we've seen over the last few years. Yeah, there, there's definitely intrigue in McCaffrey going into a new system for sure. I mean, you know, last year he was the entire offense, it felt like at times. I mean, all due respect to DJ Moore and those other guys, but, you know, McCaffrey got the ball early and often. So how a new OC and Joe Brady uses him and how Matt Rule wants to, you know, manage his workload is going to be a major storyline this season. And it was a major storyline over the weekend when we continued to see uh, whether it was footage or pictures of Chris McCaffrey lining up in the snap, uh, <laughs> lining up in the slot. Uh, although last year he did line up at the quarterback twice, so technically he did line up at the snap last year. But if you look at Chris McCaffrey, his rookie year, he played about 17% of his snaps in the slot. The last two years, it's it's 6.5% of that. We just have not seen him a lot in the slot in the last two years of his career I kind of think that this is the next level of Christian McCaffrey in truly utilizing him 
as the weapon that they said he was when he signed his big contract extension. Yeah, he split out the fourth most among running backs last year in the NFL, but it was also less than Gurley. I mean, Todd Gurley had more snaps in the slot last year than Christian McCaffrey. It wasn't a big part of their offense was to put McCaffrey out as a wide receiver. And, you know, I've said this before, but... You know, people want to say that McCaffrey's also a wide receiver. He's not. Not yet, at least. He's been a running back, and then he's a pass-catching running back, which is different than a wide receiver. It's not a bad thing, so to speak, as long as you understand that, but he is one of the best, probably the best pass-catching running back in the NFL. So I think the Panthers, what they need to think about this year is once you think about the receivers, they've got more Samuel and Anderson. And then not a lot else. I mean, yes, Seth Roberts is a guy who's been around for a couple of years, but he is what he is at this point. He's a he's a he's a fourth, fifth wide receiver at best. So if you can use McCaffrey as a receiver, you know, can you get Reggie Bonifant on the field? Can you get Mike Davis or Jordan Scarlett? I imagine not all three of them are going to make the final roster, but whoever does, can you get more of those guys on the field? There's not a lot of depth at tight end either. LSU last year led the country in empty sets on uh, uh, on offense in the FBS. So Joe Brady very much likes to do that. It's something the Saints like to do as well. They like to get their athletes on the field. Positions don't matter as much. You're running back, wide receiver, tight end, doesn't matter. Where can we put you on the field? How can we create a mismatch, get a, a faster guy on a slower guy or a bigger guy on a smaller guy, whatever it might be. And it, for the Panthers, I look, they actually have more depth, believe it or not, at running back when you start really going down the line than they do certainly at tight end and arguably at receiver as well. I think you could see some situations this year where – you know, more Samuel Anderson, McCaffrey, and Thomas. That's your first five. But the next guy up, maybe that is Scarlett. Maybe that is Bonifan. And then maybe that means McCaffrey is getting more snaps in empty sets or, or splitting out, and you got a back in the backfield that's not McCaffrey. I think you're going to see a lot more of that this season. So, you know, last year it was 58 snaps total out of the slot. I would expect that number to go up this year. The LSU did that with Clyde Edwards-Alaire last year and had a lot of success. Yeah, and Alvin Kamara last the last two years has spent 12% of the time out of the, out of the slot. What's actually more fascinating about that is... Yeah, where do you see... I mean, we don't have to get into it. 17 seems high, because 58... No, that was from his rookie. Oh, rookie, rookie year. year. Oh, yeah. got it. I was like, okay, was yeah. 6.5% the last two I years. I got it, got it. But and what's interesting about what people have said about Christian McCaffrey might actually track going forward because if you look at the usage of Kamara, not only was he put out to the slot the last two years, 12% of the time, he was also out wide another 13, 14% of the time. So 25% of the time, 25, 26% of the time, uh, Kamara has been on the field. He's basically been used as a receiver. Yep. I think, I, I, I think McCaffrey can do that, but we're about to find out pretty quickly if he can or not. Well, and remember with new Orleans, people talk about this a lot, but new Orleans has backs that they trust. So you can move Kamara out, and the Saints also don't have a lot of depth at receiver. They have a deep backfield. Before it was Ingram, Ingram moved on. They signed Latavius Murray. They've used Murray as that guy out of the backfield if they move Kamara out and use him as more of a wide receiver, so to speak. Uh, in, in Carolina, if they move McCaffrey out, who is the back that they trust? I think they have to get more out of the guys that they have behind McCaffrey. They absolutely have to. Scarlett is probably the most similar to a Latavius Murray as a guy who's a little bit bigger, more of a physical between the tackles downfield downhill runner, but Reggie Bonifant's capable of that. So is Mike Davis. And just none of them have had a chance to, to prove it yet in the NFL. Bonifant in small doses looked excellent. I wish he got the ball more last season, but yes, new Orleans built an offense that 
I mean, Kamara is a running back. I mean, he is a running back, but he's also a guy that can move around. They just had other bodies that they could put there in the backfield if they move him out so that the defense still feels like they've got to truly respect the run game, which is a bit of an unknown right now for Carolina with three different guys that we haven't seen enough of. I know we all have the way we look at depth charts. I've talked to a few people in football who the way that they've started to do things are almost more like you've got an all-purpose back and then you've got more of uh, the ground and power, a power back, so to speak, traditional running back, and where they'll they'll split out their uh, depth chart in that way. So, like in this case, McCaffrey and Bonifin would be the one-two, and then like Mike Davis and Jordan Scarlett could be the guys who do more of the in-between-the-tackle running. That doesn't mean Christian can't, but it mean it gives you if they carry four running backs, it just gives you more ability to have depth in both spots. I actually think. You know, with, with Christian out in the slot, I kind of want to see what Bonifin can do out there as well as another guy who, when he's gotten the ball in space, the one or two times we've seen it, the guy in the open field was magic in the Jacksonville game last year. Yep, he had the big run against Jacksonville, which was, I, not to take anything away from Bonifin, big on the offensive line. He had a hole that was about eight yards wide. He ran right through it. A lot of guys could have scored, but I could not but, have. You're probably de- further down the depth chart, though, than Bonifin running back. Let's, let's be clear. Yeah, I mean, still time. I, I'm putting him on notice. This is three weeks before the season starts, so you get to work. Um, you'd be more the short yardage guy. Let's face it. You're, I'm like you're the like, bus. Yeah. I'm like the double-decker bus. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> okay, yeah. Um, but so I think Bonifin definitely is capable. I, I want to see him get more opportunities. He was pretty good in the preseason last year, if I remember, too. So when he does have the ball, he's, he's a good player. Um, so, so I like that. I think the one thing that I want to caution the Panthers on, or, or at least they should be cautioned on, is not getting too cute with McCaffrey. Because, you know, last year, his effectiveness as a running back was excellent. He was at the top. And if you look at, I, I mean, I'm not going to bore people with the numbers because it gets really, it's, it's not good radio, but the, his receiving DVOA would have, if you just take the actual number, would have made, been third among wide receivers. And people look at that and they say, oh my gosh, look at him. He's in a, he's a top five wide receiver in the league. That's not true because that number is based upon your production relative to your own position. So he was the he would have he was a really good receiving running back. If you took his receiving numbers and compared him to all the other wide receivers, he would have been below average. He, he would have been wor- usage, worse right? than DJ Moore. Exactly. He but, was kind of used as the the the, the, the whoopee of, of Kyle Allen and anybody else. Correct, which is why if they're going to put him in the slot, then he'll those numbers would likely go up to some degree. But the Panthers, I think, need to make sure McCaffrey is your running back. Use him as a running back. If you're going to use him as a wide receiver, that's fine. Split him out and let him run some routes. But his bread and butter should be made by being a 1,500-yard-on-the-ground running back, and you have the other bodies who can be great pass catchers as well. If you're rely- Again, this goes back to something we said a lot. If you're throwing the ball 115 times to a running back, that's bad news. You do not want to do that. Uh, at all. You want to have receivers who can make those plays for you um, a lot. I mean, last year, McCaffrey had 142 targets. He had 58 first downs. DJ Moore had fewer targets and had 12, 14 more first downs. Your, your receivers are the guys that in the passing game are going to be getting you those first downs and chunk plays, not your running back. So this is more about getting the ball to Moore, Samuel, and Anderson, and Ian Thomas, more than it is McCaffrey in the passing game. I want to see those receptions go down, and I want to see those rushing yards go up. I, I definitely, the, the receptions have to fall because it just, it wasn't, 
I mean, it's the most of all time. It so just it wasn't pretty. It wasn't effective. And I think maybe that's the more important thing is it wasn't effective. I think the receptions will go down, but I want to see him in the passing game. It's okay. So it it is it is not entirely descriptive to say I want to see him used as a weapon because he is a running back, and I don't think the Panthers can lose sight of that. I would say he's. I wouldn't say. I think everybody agrees he's more of a complete running back than Alvin Kamara. So I don't think his usage will will line up perfectly with Alvin Kamara. But when it comes to being a wide receiver, I don't. I don't care if it's you know thirty percent in the slot and you know seventy percent of the backfield or ten percent out wide. I, the 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 formulas don't matter as much as I think as a receiver when he isn't toting the rock. When he isn't carrying the ball 15 to 20 times a game, I do want to see him in the in the passing game used as a weapon. That's not what he was used at last year. He was used as a failsafe. I, I, while I understand the reason behind it, and I'm not calling out Scott Turner or Ron Rivera for doing it, I can't imagine a worse plan than taking the best player and one of your most explosive players and utilizing as a failsafe on a team that was that basically was limited in terms of the big play making ability because of their quarterback at hand. I'm not again not criticizing. They in the pass game he needs to be used as a weapon. Move him around, be creative with him, and see what situations you can get the ball in his hand with. And this is the perfect offense for it. Yeah, and that, I just I think that when you think of McCaffrey to elaborate on what you're saying, they've got to think about the full total picture. You know who are the five guys you have as your weapons every single play. Who are those five guys? Because if you're playing McCaffrey at running back and you're playing Seth Roberts, I would rather see Reggie Bonifant on the field than Seth Roberts. I would rather see Jordan Scarlett on the field than Seth Roberts. I want to see those guys getting action because, A, McCaffrey's a better receiver than Seth Roberts. I do believe that. I think McCaffrey's, a, even if you just lined him up every single down at wide receiver, he's a better player than Roberts. And then I get another back in the backfield where if my offensive line does the job, I can average three and a half to four yards a carry just because my offensive line's moving the, the guys off the line of scrimmage. So that that's where I would go with this is if you're going to go into your five wide or your empty sets or your one back personnel can McCaffrey, or I guess it would be two back personnel, but you're splitting one of those guys out. That's what the saints have done and had a lot of success with it. I imagine the Panthers are going to do more of it. You mentioned as a rookie, because the receiving room was so deplete his rookie season, they had to start practicing McCaffrey at receiver. I mean, they were in so much trouble. McCaffrey was getting a lot of snaps out at wide receiver. They also had Jonathan Stewart. So they were able to do that. How much trust do they have in those running backs? Matt Rule has talked about the battle for backup running back. We played the sound on Friday. That's an important battle. It's an underrated battle, but it's an important one because the Panthers need to feel like they trust one of those other backs that they can put him on the field and let McCaffrey start to expand his game. I think that's a very underrated storyline of the Panthers camp. And I think an underrated storyline of the Panthers season going into it is going to be one of the challenges of Joe Brady is not necessarily does he have the talent uh, to to win from a skill playing position, but it is how do you use that talent? I think Christian McCaffrey and his usage of it. It wouldn't be surprised if the 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 first time play caller, I would say struggles, but I think if he experiments and really early on we see him try different things with McCaffrey and and to, until he gets a comfort zone on how to fully unlock Christian McCaffrey. All text this hour, courtesy of the Building Center. 
All tweets courtesy of Diamonds Direct. How will Christian McCaffrey out in the slot change the Panthers' offense? And the NBA playoffs have begun. Adam Amin of Fox Sports and the Chicago Bulls joins us next. We'll talk about whether it's time to be concerned about the LeBron-led Lakers on Sports Radio FNC. Welcome back to Wilson and Parcel. I'm still Nick. He's still Josh. We got a great game going on in the NBA playoffs. Uh, the Jazz in Denver going at it. It is uh, late in the third quarter. Utah with a 73-72, now 75-72 lead. Uh, we've got some really great playoff matchups, Josh. I am. I don't know about you. I'm excited as hell about this year. I am, man. It's going to be like March Madness. We get playoffs starting at 1.30 in the afternoon. We picked the wrong time to move to the afternoons. I mean, we go to the afternoons, and now there's basketball on all day long. So we've got to try to keep one eye on the uh, on the TV while we're also doing the radio show. But good game going on right now. Utah and Denver. Mitchell's was, taking over. This was all part of the plan uh, by the bosses. They, they, don't, they don't want us watching playoffs. That's the only possible explanation here. Uh, in the meantime, to go ahead and preview... Uh, the rest of the playoffs here with one game uh, going on right now. We head out to the Technicom guest line. Uh, you know him from Fox Sports. He's also the Chicago Bulls play-by-play man. He is Adam Amin on the Technicom hotline. Adam, uh, welcome to the show. What is the statute of limitations on new job? Congratulations. Can we still say new job because you've 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 the seat's warm now. I mean, I guess it's up to you guys. Whatever you determine is uh, is uh, appropriate for this particular scenario, I'm good with. You, if you think I'm an idiot for leaving, if you don't care, if, you, if you're excited, whatever, man, it's all good with me. No, you're definitely uh, not an idiot. You are one of the best in the biz. With the playoffs here uh, getting underway, there's been a lot of talk about the concerns for the Lakers, the matchup with the Blazers. How real are the Lakers' concerns heading into the, the playoffs? Uh, here, I, I mean, they're definitely real. Okay, concerns for the Lakers are real, but here's here, here here's what they are. My fears for for Los Angeles, and I don't think they particularly play out in a long series with Portland in this fashion. But I do think Portland can win a game or two if these things get executed properly. You have to run at LeBron, and you have to get the ball out of his hands early. If you can somehow get him into foul trouble, which is always a plan against LeBron, and it only ha- it, it happens very rarely where he gets into legitimate first-half foul trouble. Like, he just doesn't DQ very – I don't know. I can't remember the last time he DQ'd out of a game. And he's just not the type of guy who gets into foul trouble often. Uh, so, you know, that's, that's always in the game plan, but how much are you really going to be able to do? I think getting the ball out of his hands is key, and you have to run multiple bodies at him. The one thing that concerns me if you're an opponent of the Lakers is I don't know if you can contain their, front, their, their starting front line. Uh, I don't know if you can contain Davis and LeBron. If you can, to do it, you got to wear them down. That means sending multiple bodies. You're going to have to have depth, which Portland doesn't have a ton of in its front court, and not quality depth in its front court. If Yusuf Nurkic, who's so important to this team, starts getting into foul trouble, it's bad. It's going to be bad. Because then Davis, even a guy like Dwight Howard, who comes in off the bench, they can eat. So there's, there, there are concerns for the Lakers, mostly surrounding LeBron and Davis and their minutes and efficiency, and there are ways to affect that, but I don't know if you can collectively affect that for a long period of time. Now, when you get into the second round, when you get into the conference finals, and you've got a Clippers team 
that can run multiple guys at you, three or four guys at you. You have. I remember when they talked about Shaq, they would always say you had to have 18 fouls minimum. You had to have 18 fouls minimum to be able to distribute on Shaq. And that means that that means you have the the free will to be aggressive defensively against him because, all right, if you pick up two, I'm going to get the next guy in and we're going to run another body at him. I don't think there are a lot of teams that have that depth, but the Clippers do, and that's what would concern me for the Lakers once they get a little deeper into the playoffs. Adam, I don't know about you, but Saturday's game was awesome. I mean, seeing a play-in game, which we had never seen before in the NBA, you know, Portland and Lillard doing what he's always done, uh, it seems like, over the course of the last couple of weeks, willing the Blazers to the win. I know the NBA is thinking about making this a permanent thing. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, You know, I don't love it personally. I, I, I don't love it personally because I feel like the format was fine beforehand. I love that they made this happen for this particular circumstance, and I think it was executed beautifully. I think it was absolutely the right way to do it. Uh, you know, you feel for the Phoenix Suns, but the situation was what it was. You had to go undefeated, and you need some help. And they didn't get any help, so be it. You didn't make the playoffs. That's part of, that's part of the season. That's part of life. But I, I loved how exciting they made this. If, I mean, if I, had a, if I had my druthers, we would have had normal circumstances. I like the current format of the NBA playoffs in general. Uh, I, I, I love how this was executed, but I wouldn't want to go there full-time. But if, some, if next year the NBA says 8-9 are going to play a single-slash-double elimination, so be it, man. I'm fine with it. I have no issue with it. It's not my preference, that's all, because I like the current format. I like battling for 82 games for a right to get to the playoffs. And the eighth seed in the West, especially in a deep conference like the West, that's, that almost seems kind of unfair because you're battling. You're legitimately battling for the eighth seed, and I don't think it's right that it comes down to just those two games. But if they said that that was going to be the format, I'd embrace it and say, all right, let's, let's make that happen. And obviously it opens things up, especially for a team like the Bulls, who would be like around a 9 or 10 come the end of the season, maybe they, they have a chance to get in. Maybe a team like Washington can get in. Maybe a team um, you know, like, the, like the Hornets can get in. So there, there are certainly pros to it. It's not my preference, but I, I like how the NBA executed it. You almost dropped a Bobcats there, and honestly, at this I point... Close. I came close. At this you know, why, here's why. Can I tell you why, though? Can I yes. tell you why? Yes. So earlier today, I'm, I'm sitting here. I'm excited because it's day one of the NBA playoffs. And the, all those, remember those, remember when Pitbull and Kesha had that song, Timber? Couldn't forget it. Like, like six, seven years ago, they had Pitbull and Kesha, mostly Pitbull, use that song as like the official playoff music for ESPN. And I remember how hilarious that was. And I spent most of the morning, admittedly, because I forgot how catchy the song was, listening to Timber on repeat. And in that, preview that i saw the, the opening game was miami mm-hmm. first round two-time defending champion 2014 facing the at the time the bobcats in the first game of the nba playoffs that year and that was stuck in my head because i could not stop watching it and listening to timber that is my great shame for this day in fairness, Adam, uh, at, at this point, nobody's going to correct you on the Hornets versus Bobcats thing and still, until they start to get into the playoffs, until we have a reason to care. I'm curious about your thoughts on Houston. Is this the beginning of maybe a championship run for Houston? Do they have the ponies? Or is this maybe closer to the beginning of the end of the Harden-Maury uh, uh, Coach D era? I feel like it's closer to the end, and it's uh, it's unfortunate because – 
you know, I'm, I, I was talking about this last week when we were calling some of the seeding games. I feel I feel bad for Mike D'Antoni. You know, like I, I've I've been around Mike a lot the last few years, calling a lot of Rockets games, a lot of playoff games, and I I really respect his ability to have the pulse of his team. He seems to have such a good pulse of his guys. He manages egos really well. He's had some of the great players that that you know have to be leaders, that have to be on the ball. That's Chris Chris Paul. Uh, Russell Westbrook and James Harden this year. He's had guys like that for a while. Even going back to his Phoenix Suns days, you know, dealing with Amari Stoudemire and having Steve Nash and these really talented teams that were snake bitten. You know, he was one game. He was a, a Chris Paul hamstring away from coaching in the NBA Finals. I thought a couple of years ago, and, and it's unfortunate. But at this point, I would understand if you know the, the the organization feels like it wants to go in a different direction. There's been new ownership in the last couple of years, so. I would understand if they went in a different direction. And Mike D'Antoni, I think, would have a job because I think there are a lot of lot of teams that could use a coach like a Mike D'Antoni that has an understanding of how to manage egos and manage personnel. Adam, in the East, Milwaukee's the prohibitive favorite, and they were the best team in the East all year long until the bubble, and they haven't quite hit their stride, just like the Lakers haven't in the Western Conference. But the two teams behind Milwaukee – I can't wait to watch face off in the second round in that Toronto and Boston potential series. Who do you like more? Who has the better chance of knocking off Milwaukee and surprising us and making the NBA finals? All right, let's, uh, let's go there. Then I, I think of the team of those two that have a better shot at Mo- at Milwaukee. I think it's Boston. And it's for the same reason we talk about the, the Lakers. You have to have bodies that can defend and run at Giannis and make it hard on him. And as good as Toronto is defensively as a unit, I don't think they have the perimeter uh, like horses to deal with everything that Boston has, nor do I feel like they have the perimeter horses to deal with everything Milwaukee has. Now, Toronto-Boston could be a classic series. That might be maybe the best second-round series we see. If, if it's all chalk, that might be the best second-round series. And I, I think that could easily go seven. I had one of those Boston-Toronto games earlier this year. And, you know, you, you, when you match up, a Siakam with a Tatum when you have Jalen Brown being watched by, uh, you know, I don't know if you throw Ananobi, uh, maybe Norman Powell yeah. on the bench on him. You got Kemba Walker, you know, you're, you're probably going to throw your best defender and your best guard and probably Fred Van Vliet at that point. You know, how do you deal with the scoring ability of Boston how do you deal with the versatility of Siakam? I love the concept of that series. Now, those two teams, I think Boston's got a better shot because you can throw Brown on Giannis. You can throw Tatum on Giannis for a little bit, and you can throw maybe Marcus Smart. Marcus Smart might be the best defender, uh, probably is the best defender on that team. He's one of the most relentless defenders in the NBA. I think that's the guy you probably key in on Giannis at that point. So with all that said, I feel like Boston's got a legitimate shot, maybe not to upset Milwaukee, but I think they take them deep. And I think they have a much better opportunity than Toronto. Last year, the big key for Toronto was having somebody like Kawhi that could run at Giannis. Kawhi works really hard at the defensive end, and then you give him some help with a little bit of shade. I think you can do something similar for the Boston Celtics this year with Giannis. All right, Adam. That we're going to go from the from the East in that situation to the West. Lakers or Clippers? I think Clippers. Uh, I think the Clippers are a better team overall. Uh, I think their depth, as we discussed, is is Probably second to none. I mean, they're the they're one of the two or three teams in the NBA that can legitimately go five for five, like switch out your entire first five and put in a like go line change. 
and not lose a significant level of production. They have a great, maybe the best second unit in the NBA. They're bringing in two guys that are both six-man-of-the-year candidates and Harrell and Williams. Uh, Reggie Jackson is a great pickup. That was one of the best pickups you could have uh, right around February is when he, he showed up, and he was very good right before the suspension of the season. Uh, you got Morris, another guy that you can run at LeBron, uh, who's, who's a really hard-nosed guy. He's not going to back down against anybody. Uh, I, I think their lineup is as good as it comes. And obviously we're not even talking about the other three guys in the starting lineup. Beverly, Le- uh, Leonard, George, three of the tougher defenders in the NBA. They're all playing on the perimeter, and that's what scares me. If you're the Lakers, I'd be scared about that Clippers team. We've seen how they've gone up against one another. I think they split the season series to a piece, and it was difficult on LeBron on in multiple facets because of guys like Beverly and Kawhi. So uh, I think the, the Clippers have the depth. That doesn't mean LeBron can't wheel a team to the NBA Finals, man. We've seen it year in and year out. He did it. Uh, Nick, you remember this. He did it for years in Cleveland with bad teams and good teams. He dragged teams to the NBA Finals and then pushed them over the edge to get there, too. And he can do that again with the Lakers. He's that good. But in terms of depth, in terms of team ability, in terms of versatility, in terms of production off the bench, I think the Clippers are a superior team. When George Hill is the th- the second best player on your team, not named you, and you get him to the finals, that's actually one of the steps for, for being sainted in the Catholic Church, or so I've heard. <laughs> uh, Adam Amin on the Technicom George, guest George. line here on Wilson and Parcell. You can follow him at Adam Amin. All-around great guy. Adam, again, man, congrats on the new gig with the Bulls. Uh, You more than deserve it. We appreciate it, buddy. Anytime, pal. Thanks, guys. Really appreciate you. Thank you so much. Adam Amin there on the Technicom Hotline here on Wilson and Parcel. We'll get back to the basketball talk later in the show, but one superstar isn't giving up on his fight for college football in the fall for the Big Ten. Sports Radio FNC. It's going down. I'm yelling We're going to have to clip this and send it to Adam Amin. Maybe maybe the only way we can help him get timber out of his head is if he hears it. Because that's the only way. That's usually my go-to if something gets stuck in my brain. I don't know if he wants it now. He, he said that on with us, but I checked his Twitter. Apparently, he cut an acoustic track of timber. <laughs> <laughs> that's what he said. It, it was literally on his Twitter. He was texting with a friend, and I guess the friend told him he needed to cut a little acoustic version, and he did. Who, Adam Amin is a man of many talents. Had had I heard that he had cut an acoustic version of uh, Timber before he came on, I would have I would have tried to get him into rehab and not necessarily had him here on the show. But again, great stuff with Adam Amin. And you know, uh, I, while we're uh, away from the basketball stuff here, it seems as if we're full go with the SEC, the Big Twelve, and uh, the ACC. But uh, one player in particular is not giving up, Josh, the fight for the Big Ten as Ohio State quarterback Justin Fields started a petition requesting the Big Ten immediately reinstate the uh, 2020 football season. And this petition already has well over 200,000 signatures here. I have no idea how significant it's going to be, whether this will uh, cause any momentum for the Big Ten. They don't have a comment on it as of yet, or they have not commented on it yet. But at the very least, impressive initiative from the young Ohio State quarterback. Impressive initiative for sure. And I applaud him for speaking up because the decision that the Big Ten made several, well, I guess a week ago, 
didn't involve the players. It, it, they, did, they didn't ask for their opinion. They didn't ask for their input. I don't even know if they asked for one another's input because we now have two different people, the president at Minnesota and the athletic director at Penn State, who have said today it's unclear whether or not there was actually even a formal vote at all by the Big Ten presidents and chancellors on whether or not to play this season. It is an absolute PR catastrophe that's taking place right now with the Big Ten. I'm sickened by it. I, I I was disgusted by it last week. I didn't understand why the Big Ten did what they did when they did it. I'm not I'm not 100% for playing football. I'm also not 100% against it. I'm 100% for allowing time to pass and new information to arise that can inform the decisions that these conferences are making. And the Big Ten made a decision last week that was cluttered and and clumsy at best and was negligent at worst. And now you have hundreds of players, over a thousand players in the Big Ten whose seasons have ended prematurely without allowing for the flexibility that the schedule they released themselves accounted for just merely a week before shutting it all down. I don't understand it. And I'm proud of Justin Fields for speaking up. I don't think it's going to make a difference in the end. I don't think that if, if the big 10 were to reverse course, I do not believe it's going to come from the players, but the public pressure that's being put on the big 10 right now over their decision is it's loud. It's being heard and we'll see how the big 10 responds. They've yet to do so. Being a former Midwest guy, I've, I've seen a lot of reaction from big 10 media and, and uh, Albert Breer actually talked a little bit about, uh, the decision and I actually didn't think Albert was very fair to Kevin Warren I don't think Kevin Warren has been painted fairly in this light because I think he is uh, not necessarily an innocent, innocent bystander but I think he has been put in a situation where he doesn't have a lot of power and there are a lot of people who have more power than him making these decisions and then he has to go out and answer for them but yet I'll say the one thing I'll say that Kevin Warren has not done nearly a good enough job at is being able to answer for the decision made by the conference. And I think if uh, four days ago, five days ago, when he spoke with Dave Revson on the Big Ten Network, if he had been able to say with with facts and logic and medical reasoning behind it, hey, this is why we're doing this now, I don't think you would see this going the way it's going. But I think, as you alluded to, I don't know that there was a lot of attempts at cohesion before they released this announcement, and that probably falls on Kevin Warren. It 100% falls on Kevin Warren. He's he's the face of the conference. He's the commissioner in charge. He has to be able to be more transparent than he has been. And I will say this, it, to be completely fair, every other commissioner needs to be transparent too. I, I'm, I'm putting a lot of pressure on Kevin Warren myself. I'm, I have a lot of criticism of Kevin Warren for the lack of transparency and why they made the decision to shut down. What is the medical advice that they are given? What, is, what are the fears that they have of uh, playing a season? Specific fears, not vague fears, players' health. and you know, Specifically, what are you fearful of and why did you make the call then? He didn't answer why they shut the season down. A lot of reasons why Kevin Warren deserves blame today. But we also deserve transparency from the leagues that are playing. We deserve transparency on what is the medical advice that you are getting at this point. Why are you? Why do you believe it is still safe for these players? Because just as the Big Ten has decided it is not safe, the Pac-12 is a little bit unique because of some some government laws in some of the states and and uh, the the regulations on the, the campuses themselves. I give the Pac-12 a little bit more of a pass than I do the Big Ten, but. I want transparency from all of these leaders on these conferences. We're not getting it, but the Big Ten is the one that shut it down, and we're not getting answers right now. So, yes, is Kevin Warren essentially just doing the bidding of other presidents at the school? Yeah, there's probably a great deal of that. Let's face it. Kevin Warren's son is practicing right now at Mississippi State. 
You think Kevin Warren, if he truly felt like players weren't safe playing football, would allow his son to be practicing in Starkville, Mississippi right now? I don't think so. So it's clear that Kevin Warren is basically doing the bidding of the presidents of the university. But when you have reports from multiple schools, schools who have gone on the record saying that they oppose this, and then other schools that are now saying, like Penn State, for example, who we up to this point believed voted for the you know the decision to shut down the season, Sandy Barber, the AD, saying, yeah, it's unclear whether or not there was actually a really a formal vote at all. What are we doing? What is happening? There is so much that can change. Just over the weekend, this report of a Yale-funded study that was partnered with the NBA, uh, among others, to test a potential uh, to test a potential test uh, called Saliva Direct, which would speed up the testing process, which would cheapen the testing process, and could potentially be a game changer for playing college football. Those are the types of things that the Big Ten should have allowed time. To just see how this thing evolves, what changes? How do this? How can the circumstances change between the beginning of August and the end of August? They gave themselves time with that schedule, and then they didn't even give it a chance to see it all the way through. I, I still don't understand it. It's a terrible look for that conference. Yeah, and I think when we get back to this idea of Justin Fields and his his petition, I, I think this is probably going to be one of those things where we we're given another. We're getting another another reminder of the player's role in all of this, which is not that significant. And, you know, the more I thought of it, the more I'm okay with this that being the case right now. Now, the Big Ten is, has made a, a mess of this, but, like, I don't think Justin Fields' petition should have any merit. And, I, listen, God bless the parents that have spoken out on behalf of football. Uh, we saw the McCaffrey's, uh, you know, Ed and Lisa McCaffrey speak out as their son, uh, Dylan, plays at Michigan. Uh, multiple families from Iowa, Penn State, Ohio State, Nebraska, they've all released letters addressed to Kevin Warren looking for answers about why the season was, was canceled. And I, I respect that. I also think that... By and large, I, I I still would much rather the chancellors. They've not done a good job of it to this point. I'd still much rather the chancellors and the 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 uh, the, the commissioner make this call than anybody else, uh, even though it was a nice sign by Justin Fields. Uh, I I side with the parents on this. There there, there is in, in all walks of life there is risk that we undertake and. With this pandemic, that risk is is unknown at this point. To some extent, there is a great deal of unknown about the long-term effects of this disease. And I think that the potential dangers of myocarditis, which is a was a big driving force in why the Big Ten decided to shut down. If you read what the what we have heard from these presidents and, and from the people who have spoken to them, that was a huge, huge reason at why the Big Ten wanted to shut this thing down. But this is where I go back to the word transparency. Why can't the conferences be more transparent about the information that they have, pass that along to the coach or the athletic departments, pass it along to the schools, to the coaches, pass it along to the players, make them aware of everything that they they know the players should know everything should be aware or have the ability to know everything that these decision makers know when the decision makers are unilaterally making calls that affect economies and that affect futures and, and, and lives and families without giving the players the transparency that they deserve, you're going to have a problem. So it, it, I, I agree with the McCaffreys. I agree with Fields. I agree with the uh, apparently dozens, if not hundreds of parents in the Big Ten who have voiced their concerns to the conference. You're, you, you already take on, on risk. side of caution. Well, then right? we shouldn't. Well, then we shouldn't play football at all, because if you're going to err on the side of caution, 
get rid of football in the entire country. Well, no, because but, there is an enormous amount of risk by playing the sport. But not that's th- not the Big Ten's decision. The Big Ten's decision is whether the Big Ten plays or then not. Then be transparent about why you're making the decision because they haven't been. That is a huge problem. You may, you may or may not be right, but the fact that the Big Ten and the Pac-12 to some extent have not been forthcoming with why they made this decision and simply said we don't think it's safe when there's other conferences who are who are getting other medical information or maybe the same and making a different opinion about it I don't know are deciding that it is safe that is a bad look and this could be irreparable damage for the Big 10 if and this is a big if if the other conferences go forward and play, this could be a very bad look for those. If the conferences are able to succeed and look after looking what happening, what's happening in Tuscaloosa and what's happening in Chapel Hill right now, I don't have a ton of confidence because I just don't trust college students. I trust the players. I don't trust the students. But if the Big Ten can't be clear about why they're making the call, these parents have every single right to be upset. The players have every single right to be upset. So do the coaches. This is a this is a decision that should be left to them, and they should be able to take more control over this, particularly when the guys making the decision won't even tell them why they made it. I, I agree with you wholeheartedly on the, the, the transparency necessary here. I would just say as a parent, I I would rather somebody be overly cautious with the future and the health of my kids. And again, I would like them to tell me why they're making their decisions, but I think I would rather that than the determination where it feels like maybe money is the the key instant like we all agree with the other three conferences the three power conf- uh, power five conferences they're going forward because there's a lot of money to be made it's not about the 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 pageantry of football or the history of football it's not really even about the the players wanting to play it's about that there's a bleep ton of money at stake and that's absolutely important but as a parent I don't think that's more important than than my kids I I would I would love to talk to some of those parents cuz I I would much rather just trust that they're erring on the side of caution than anything else. Maybe so. And, and I think there's plenty of parents who probably agree with you and are just conservative by nature and don't want their kids in harm's way at all. But again, I go back to the fact that those decisions about how much risk you should be willing to accept in order to do whatever it is you're doing, playing a football game, flying on an airplane, whatever it might be, that's a decision that should be left to individual people. And, and, and those decisions should be the most informed decisions possible. It's very upsetting to me that the Big Ten has been hiding throughout all of this. I mean, Kevin Warren has given one one interview on widely distributed television on the Big Ten Network where he gave zero answers in 25 minutes that explicitly explained why they came to the decision that they did. And then the hypocrisy of schools practicing right now, of intramural sports existing on those campuses right now, and of Kevin Warren's very own son, as I mentioned before, playing football right now at the Division One level in another conference exposes all that hypocrisy of the conference. And I would be furious if I'm a parent right now. It's, again... It's not about they have to play football. I think a lot of people are saying that, and I think that's wrong. It's about making sure that you have as many answers as possible. And with the developments that this country is making seemingly every week and the changes that are happening with the numbers in this country across the, uh, across all these states, there was no reason to make the call at the beginning of August. I stand by that, and I'll continue to. Justin Fields, Ohio State's quarterback, started a petition requesting the Big Ten immediately reinstate the 2020 uh, college football season, the Big Ten season. Will uh, the petition make a difference? Many have failed at what Matt Rule is trying to succeed at. Sports Radio FNC.